Blog Talk Radio. August 12, 2012 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. It's the podcast devoted to the discussion of news and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, Objectivism. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and joining me here in the studio today is President and Executive Director of the Ayn Rand Institute, Yaron Brook. He's the co-author of the soon-to-be-released book, Free Market Revolution, which he wrote along with Don Watkins of ARI as well. And I'm glad that Yaron agreed to come here and talk with us today about the somewhat surprising announcement of Mitt Romney's VP pick, Paul Ryan. So thanks for joining us, Yaron. Thanks for having me on. And I've got a number of questions for him, but those of you listening live should also feel free to contribute questions either in the chat room, I see a bunch of people are already there, or you can call in. The number is 760 888 5817, and you can see that on the Blog Talk Radio page. Okay, so let's dive in. The first thing that is, of course, on everyone's mind about Paul Ryan is his connection to Ayn Rand, his affinity and professed admiration of Ayn Rand. I went back and watched a campaign video that he had in 2009, and in that video, he talked about democratic capitalism, you know, democratic, but, you know, and individualism, freedom in America as the moral foundation of America. And he said that Ayn Rand, more than anyone else, did a fantastic job of explaining the morality of capitalism, the morality of individualism. And he said that this is what matters most, that it's not policy, it's the morality of what's going on, the morality of individualism that needs to be communicated out in the world today, which sounded very good. And then, as many of us saw earlier this year, the National Review Online broke a couple of stories in which they described Paul Ryan as disavowing objectivism. So he says, yes, I, you know, like millions of young people in America, I read Rand's novels when I was young, I enjoyed them, but there's a big stretch to suggest that a person is therefore an objectivist. And he said explicitly, I'm quoting from him here, I reject her philosophy. It's an atheist philosophy. It reduces human interactions down to mere contracts, and it is antithetical to my worldview. He says, if somebody is going to try and paste a person's view of epistemology to me, then give me Thomas Aquinas, end quote. And he says, don't give me Ayn Rand. That was the addition. So what do you make of this? Does he have a real affinity? Does he understand Rand? Did he disavow her in a way that was significant? What do you think? So I think this is uh, representative of a phenomenon that exists out there uh, generally in the public, in politics, in business, everywhere. Uh, that is that there are lots and lots of people who are fans of Ayn Rand. There are lots and lots of people who, who for, for whom Ayn Rand has had a profound impact on their lives, on the ideas that they hold. However, they are not, not, never were, objectivists. Paul Ryan was never an objectivist. 
he never advocated for objectivism. What he said is that Ayn Rand influenced his life. Uh, I've heard Eric Cantor, the, the, the very moderate, middle-of-the-road Republican, I think he's the um, uh, majority leader, uh, say the same thing to me. Uh, Ayn Rand changed my life. Uh, I've heard many, I've heard hundreds of people say that to me over the years. Some of them are religious, some of them are pragmatists, some of them are middle-of-the-roaders. But you know what? In some portion of their life, somewhere, Ayn Rand has had an impact on them. So they're better for having been exposed to Ayn Rand. They're better people, they're probably better uh, policy-wise, and they all have this this huge admiration uh for Ayn Rand as a consequence of the impact she's had on their lives. And I think Paul Ryan is the same way. He's always been a Catholic. I don't think he ever gave up Catholicism. So I don't think he's gone through a process where he read out the shrugged, rejected Catholicism, and now in order to become vice president, he's adopted it again, or he's become religious for some other reason. I just think that he was always religious. And there are lots of people out there. Again, if you travel and you talk to people, you find these people all all over the place who want to have their cake and eat it too, who want to be admirers of Ayn Rand and be religious. And, and I believe them. I think they are religious, and I think they do admire Ayn Rand. And when, when, when Paul Ryan says um, that Ayn Rand presents the best defense of the morality of capitalism, I think, I think he doesn't quite understand what he's saying. I, I think at sense of life level, at some emotional level, I think he thinks that's true. He believes that's true at a superficial level, but he doesn't know what morality is. He certainly doesn't know what Ayn Rand's morality is, not in the fullest sense. And I think the quote about human relationships are just contracts is, is an example of that. But but I don't think he ever did. I, so I don't think he switched. I don't think he suddenly turned off a switch and became less of an objectivist. He was never an objectivist. So uh, I don't think he understands what her morality is. And I think he, he understands to some level that um, that her morality is not Christian, and I think if he would have pushed on it at any point in time over the last 10 years, he would have acknowledged that and, and rejected her morality ultimately. So um, he's intellectual up to a point because he doesn't, he's not, a, he's, not, he's not deep in that sense, right? He's not deep in the sense of understanding, of studying Ayn Rand. I mean, let's remember, and this, I find this, particularly if you're on Twitter or on Facebook, I find this astonishing. Ayn Rand's a philosopher. To understand Ayn Rand requires studying Ayn Rand. You don't understand Ayn Rand by just reading Atlas Shrugged and liking it. You don't understand Ayn Rand even by reading some of her nonfiction. You have to study Ayn Rand to fully understand her. She is, in the fullest sense of the word and the concept, a philosopher and therefore requires studying, thinking, analyzing. So, you know, now, as much as I think Paul Ryan is, is, is intellectual, I don't think he studied Ayn Rand from that perspective. Now, he studied enough to know, for example, that he doesn't share her epistemology. Um, and again, he's intellectual so, because he's religious. And, and again, he hasn't suddenly turned religious. He was always religious. All you have to do is look at his stand on abortion, um, which is horrific. It's, 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 a, it's um, you know, he is a sponsor of a, at least a bill in the House, which I think that if if fully understood, would would exclude certain forms of contraception. It certainly would exclude stem cells. So he's he's radical. On, he's a real religionist. He's a real Catholic, um, and he and he takes his religion seriously, as it applies to um, to issues like abortion. On the other hand, because of Rand's influence, right, he has this way of 
distorting Catholicism, at least as I understand Catholicism, distorting well, Catholicism in order to make it consistent with freedom and, and capitalism, which I, I truly think he believes in. From what I understand, there's this principle within at least some interpretations of Catholicism that they call subsidiarity. And in essence, it is that insofar as Catholicism should pursue and promote the common good, that common good should be promoted not through government, but through the community, your neighbors, churches, things like that. And I think that's the line that he's been pushing in order to have free market capitalism reconciled with the deeper ethics. I, th I think that's right. He's also, uh, and if you read him, he's also a very, um, he, he's a spokesman or, or he truly believes in the natural rights theory. That he's, he is a proponent of the, na of the 18th century natural rights theory that says that we are endowed with all men are created equal and we're endowed with certain rights, individual rights, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And he is the, to his credit, he is the only politician I know of who talks regularly and intelligently, that is from a deep philosophical perspective, about individual rights. Now, he's wrong about them because he, he, he's, he's a natural rights theorist. Subjectivists are not natural rights. So he believes that rights ultimately come from God. But he, he no, given no, that, he, he's very that, similar to the founders in that respect. He did in his, uh, I guess, acceptance speech, if you would call it that, no. when he was with uh, Romney yesterday. He mentioned that we get rights from our nature and from God. Yes. So that's better than a lot of these religious politicians to at least put our human nature in the equation. Absolutely. Like Again, in the tradition of the founders. I think that's how the founders would have uh, would have talked about it. The founders would have talked about uh, it, 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 uh, individual rights as being part of, of human nature. And, and notice that in the Declaration, uh, Jefferson talks about a creator, right? And creator, nature, uh, uh, God in nature that vision. Nature and nature's God, I believe. Yeah, yeah. He, he, God kind of creates you with a certain nature that endows you with individual rights and then to some extent leaves the picture. So, I mean, it's a better view of, this is again, his, I think, now he's Catholic and the founders were not Catholic, but I think he's adopted certain elements of the founders' views, not with regard to religion, because I think he's much more religious than they are in his Catholicism, but in, in with regard to individual rights, I, I think he, as far as I know, now they, I may be wrong, he is, if not the best, one of the best politicians out there in terms of his understanding of the idea, again, from this flawed natural rights perspective, but that flawed natural rights perspective is far superior to anything else that's out there in terms of a discussion of rights. And so I think deep down he has a certain understanding of capitalism, of, of economic freedom, which is good and, and solid in spite of his voting record, which we can talk about. Um, I, I think it is good. It's better than most. Um, but it's undercut by his religiosity. It's undercut by his Catholicism. And again, in, in, he is not an objectivist. We shouldn't measure him relative to being objectivist. We shouldn't measure him relative to uh, to somebody who's, who, who believes in Ayn Rand because he doesn't. He, he, you know, an expectation he does, or, or reading into what he said in the past, uh, more objectivism than was really there is a mistake. Right. I mean, two things. When I saw the National Review piece, and again, the piece I'm looking at is called Ryan Shrugged, and it's from National Review Online of April 26. He mentions specifically epistemology. So to me, he strikes me as a modern day Aquinian, I guess is what you would call the person, who tries to reconcile Rand's free market ideas with the foundation of 
an epistemology based on faith and reason. And of course, trying to reconcile faith and reason is a whole other yep. challenge. But so you you would agree that Ryan isn't just pragmatically for political purposes disavowing the connection with Ayn Rand. It's just this is the first that people have really pressed him on it. Or so the timing is suspect. Yeah. I, I think so. I I'm mixed on this, right? So on, on the one hand, I think that he has said th- um, he's been in the past more positive about Ayn, Rand, about Ayn Rand than he probably really believes. So, you know, he, he attended this celebration of, of the uh, Atlas, Atlas, Atlas yeah. Society's 100, I think it was the 100 year of Ayn Rand or 50th, 50th, Atlas, of Atlas, Shrugged. 50th of Atlas Shrugged. And, he, and I think he was probably overly positive there. And I think now he's more negative than he would otherwise be because I think he's being pressed. And I don't think he's being pressed by the Catholic Church, I think he was being pressed by Romney. I think it's really curious that his whole National Review article uh, came out at about the same time there was discussion about him being vetted uh, for the VP position. I think he was approached by the Romney campaign and told, if you want a shot at this, you're going to have to, we've found your weaknesses. And one of the weaknesses is that you are a... um, you know, you, you're too much of a fan of Ayn Rand. You have to find ways to distance himself. So I think he did it consciously, purposefully for political reasons. At the same time, I don't think he was ever, you know, again, he was never an objectivist. And, and I think that's, I think it's important to point this out. And why is it important to point this out? Because the left is already labeling him, this is an Ayn Rand ticket. His budget is an Ayn Rand budget. Uh, everything he does in the future will be, this is what Ayn Rand would have done. Mm-hmm. Everything that fails will be, and he's not, and and it isn't. So the sooner we get uh, and explain and and articulate and make public as public as we can. No, Ryan was never an objectivist. He was a fan. So what? Lots of people are fans. He was never an objectivist. His budget is nowhere near an Iron Man budget. It's better than other budgets. Certainly better than Obama's budget. Uh, but it's not an I, I mean, and there are actually features of the budget that are pretty good, but it's not an Ayn Rand budget. His views of Medicare, Social Security, a lot of these things are not Ayn Rand views. Uh, he is a Republican. He's a conservative. He's not an objectivist. So we need to distance him from Ayn Rand in that respect while saying, on the other hand, that, look, Ayn Rand is having a positive influence on the culture. She is taking politicians like Ryan and others and making them better than they otherwise would be. Not ideal, not what we'd want, nowhere near what we would want, but closer. Right. And actually, for people who are interested, there's an article that was linked to in the third paragraph of that Ryan Shrugged piece on NRO. The article was written by Brian Balduck, and he fairly sympathetically explains that People who are Ayn Rand fans aren't necessarily objectivists in in, in a decent way. We can do it better, of course. Uh, One question I did have for you that's related to what you just said, Jerome, is are we at the stage where we have enough infiltration into the culture, enough of a platform, as they call it, out there on social media? You know, the Ayn Rand Institute has enough exposure out there to be able to set the record straight when people inevitably try to smear Ayn Rand by saying, oh, you know, look at this or that policy of, of Ryan and Romney, that must be coming from Ayn Rand. I, you know, I don't know. I, I hope so. And this is where your listeners could certainly help, because this is something that is already happening on Twitter and on Facebook and everywhere else. And instead of going out there and attacking Ryan's policies, attacking this, attacking that, 
I think much more useful for you know in terms of strategy and for, and, and our long term success is to correct the record about Ayn Rand to to di- to show the distance between him and Ayn Rand not in a negative way not not in a way that says oh no Paul Ryan is evil and awful because he doesn't agree with Ayn Rand that doesn't help us but just to point out Paul Ryan is not an objectivist and this is why because he's he's uh, anti-abortion because he's a, he's he believes in religion he's a he's a uh, Thomist because um you know, because he he he's not radical enough uh, on his budget and so on, and and you know just to show, you know, he wants to, or at least in some of his speeches, he claims he wants to uh, save Medicare. We want to do away with Medicare. I mean, or phase Medicare out. I mean, just illustrate in in polite, positive, without slamming anybody, just the fact that I that uh, that uh, Ryan is no John Galt which is what some people are accusing him of. And, and of course, I wish he was. So that needs to be the context. The context needs to be, we wish he was. Of course, if he was, well, he would have never gotten elected to Congress. He would have never survived more than one election. And he would never, ever, ever be uh, a nominee for VP. So let's be realistic here. An objectivist cannot win an election today. Not even the most articulate, charismatic, well-spoken objectivist couldn't win and certainly wouldn't be nominated by somebody like um, a, uh, uh, a Mitt Romney for the VP position. I mean, if anything, uh, the fact that Mitt Romney, of all people, would elect Paul Ryan suggests that Paul Ryan is not anywhere close to objectivism, given how far Mitt Romney is. Um, and, and, you know, some of you, uh, somebody wrote on the thing, uh, wish Iran could run for president. Do you really? I mean, I mean, and lose? I mean, what would be the fun of that? Um and spend hundreds of millions of dollars in the process. And, I mean, and look, so on. look at what happens to Gary Johnson now. He was marginalized so totally. You know. Uh, well, I'm more articulate and much more, much better are, and more, you know, you, more you good would, looking than, than Gary Johnson. You, you so. would have done. You have a better haircut for there sure. You, go. Uh, you would have done so much better in the debates than Gary Johnson. You would have made a much better showing. <laughs> so you wouldn't have been marginalized as quickly. Yes. But nonetheless, you can't get elected today if you are even a Gary Johnson, and he's not perfect. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think that that's beyond. Okay, so that is that question. Let me. So, in in terms of the actual substance of his policy, do you see a value in terms of buying time? Because again, your concern is not to endorse a particular candidate. The institute's focus is that we want to educate the culture about Ayn Rand's ideas and promote her ideas in the culture. Do you think that the Romney-Ryan ticket is something that can help buy time in that regard, or is it not that much different than Obama-Biden in that regard? Um, well, let me just say that uh, this first, you know, I, uh, the Ayn Rand Institute's a 501c3, so nothing I say qua uh, uh, executive director of the Ayn Rand Institute should be implied as uh, me advocating you vote one way or the other. Um, but let me say this about Paul Ryan. I mean, in the world we live in, uh, in this horrible mixed economy, horrible philosophy, uh, nihilism on the left, religiosity on the right, I think Paul Ryan is about as good as it gets. Now, he is both the best and the worst of the Republican Party in the sense that he is really, I think, as good as the Republican Party will get on economic issues and as bad as the Republican get, Party will get on things like abortion, abortion, but even immigration and some other things. So, um, 
you know, he he is he is the best out there. This is a reflection of the Republican Party in terms of what it is and what it what we can expect of it. it you know, but but the other thing about Ryan, which I have a lot of respect for, and I think is a huge opportunity for us, is that he is um, incredibly intellectual. Uh, again, I think of all politicians out there, you know, popular politicians, politicians that actually. I think make a difference. He is the most intellectual. He, if you read his stuff, it's it, it's intellectual. It's, it's it's borderline philosophical. Some of his stuff is philosophical. I would actually encourage those of you to. to there's an article he wrote. It's actually on his website, and it's something that was published in uh, Heritage uh, Foundation's uh, publication, and it's from September 20th, 2010, where he articulates his case for um, against abortion. But read that and, and find another politician that can articulate the case that, well, I mean, it's horrible, right? But it, but it, it, is, it is grounded in a real ideology. His, his views are not – this is not evangelical Christianity, which is emotion, emotion, emotion. This is at least a certain respect for reason that he has and, and again, this Thomist attitude Trying to you know trying to combine your faith and reason together, which which we know fails, but he's he's at least uh, he's at least out there. I see people already posting the link to that document. Thank you because I think it's really worth reading to see both the best and the worst of uh, Paul Ryan. So, what does it mean to have a, a really intelligent, intellect, relatively intellectual politician running as vice president? What I think it does is it really elevates the debate. I think it's going to force people to engage in a real, in the real questions that are facing us, at least at a political level. So, you know, they're really going to have to talk about Medicare. They won't be able to, you know, they won't be able to hide behind anything. Medicare is bankrupting this country. Ryan understands this, and he gets the numbers, and he can articulate the numbers. He's going to force it. So Obama will not be able to hide behind anything. He'll actually actually have to deal with it. There is an excellent video that is around on YouTube, and I it's being passed around on Facebook now, but it's six minutes of Paul Ryan explaining to Obama's face in just succinct detail what is wrong with yeah. Obamacare. And he is excellent. It made me wish that you could go out of the typical convention and have Ryan debate Obama and leave you know Biden to Romney because I think it would be much better that way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think the two most intellectual um, politicians around are Obama and uh, Ryan. Obama is a is represents the the nihilistic egalitarian yeah. left, and uh, and uh, Ryan representing kind of the the religious pro free market right. But uh, but but that would be a terrific debate. But but you see, he's going to force Romney on the right and Obama on the left to have to deal with these issues. Now, even in that video, just because it is a good video, but it's also a bad video in the sense that in the video, on a number of occasions, Paul Ryan grants uh, grants Obama the moral high ground. He says, I agree with your goals, but and, you know, that's the problem is they, you know, they, they can't really question altruism, not even uh, Ryan with all this so-called admiration for Ayn Rand, can't ultimately question altruism. And that, and that was done before, again, he repudiated Rand. So, again, you have to really question to what extent did he ever understand Rand and to the extent that he did do it, what extent did he ever accept Rand? I mean, to, to be fair, when I saw that video, I took him as saying, I agree that health care pricing is through the roof 
and that I think he, in his mind, maybe he didn't make it as clear in the video as he should, that the cause of health care prices going through the roof and people getting bankrupt and all this stuff, and the reason that you can't get policies despite pre-existing conditions. Well, it, it, it's altruism, but it's also the government involvement in the healthcare industry yeah. that's caused this mess. And, yeah, he could have been a little bit clearer about that. Yeah, he also, during the whole healthcare debate, if you remember, uh, was willing to grant them the pre-existing conditions, uh, you know, health insurance companies forcing them to cover pre-existing conditions. You know, ultimately, these guys, ultimately, he is a... And this is, you know, if you look at his voting record, it's pretty, it's actually pretty dismal. And the reason is that, and he often says the right thing. So, for example, he voted for the expansion of Medicare, right, under Bush. He said he was against it, but he voted for it because he said it was the less of two evils, that the alternative would have been worse. He voted for TARP because he said the alternative would have been worse, even though he was against bailouts. He voted for auto bailouts. He's voted for a lot of things that an objectivist would never vote for, even as he has said, I'm against these things. Because he is a politician. This is why, again, an objectivist cannot really be a politician, because a politician has to make those kind of decisions. And as an objectivist, you can't. So you would always vote against everything, and sometimes the worst of two evils would get passed as a consequence. Right, right. He votes qua politician. So, again, that has to set our expectations appropriately. Now, does that make – okay, so do they buy time, the Romney? So, so my view is yes. So oh, my view is this. Um, I think Obama's a disaster. He's a disaster politically, he's a, but he's much more importantly, he's a disaster philosophically. And the more airtime Obama gets to articulate – and, and I, I, I mean airtime, the bully pulpit and everything that he does – to articulate this nihilistic, egalitarian ideas, the worse off the country will be long term. Obama is is in you know I've said this before. Obama is the most anti-American, and I don't mean here with regard to foreign policy. I mean here in terms of what it means to be American, what what the American philosophy is, is the most anti-American president ever. Anything, anything would be better in that sense, in the sense of of giving, buying us time to restore what America means to the culture. I, I think that Orion is probably the closest to a founder's vision, uh, 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 an old line American vision was. I mean, he's closer to a, I think, I, hope I'm not, I think to a, to a, to a Barry Goldwater kind of uh, view of America. Maybe not quite as good. I, you know, I don't know. I, you'd have to really dig and, and study this, but, but I think good. And in that sense, I think, yes. Now, again, I, the ticket should be reversed. Ryan should be running for president. I always thought Ryan would be one guy that I thought should be running. But again, not because he was objectivist. I'm going to make this over and over, this point over and over again. Not because he's an objectivist, just because I think of the existing politicians who could win, who are in the Republican Party. We live in a two-party system. This is the reality. One of them is going to win. Ryan of the people who could win is probably the best, uh, the best out there, in spite of religious religiosity. Now, we're going to have to fight the religiosity, and this is it's going to be a battle. But even there, you know, I, I think that his type of religiosity, and again, I you know, I'm open to being argued against this, but is better, right? Better in in some kind of quotes. Uh, what would you rather have a uh, a compassionate conservative? emotional, emotional baby 
like George W. Bush, right. who, who was an even born-again evangelical, who couldn't articulate a sentence, but who, who got his inspiration from God through some mystical revelation process. And, you know, uh, it, it, the, whole, the whole evangelical appeal to emotion versus a Thomist, a, a Catholic who is intellectual, who, uh, who, who at least claims to use reason. Uh, then at least there's a standard by which we can debate, I, I hope, I think. Uh, so it, it's a better form now. There's, go, going kind of to, to Leonard's, Leonard Peikoff's view of kind of the steps that we would go towards the greater influence of religion. Does it take that kind of a Catholic to be in the White House to set the grounds for the evangelicals to take over? I'm open to that argument, but again, Obama can't be there, so Obama needs to be out. And I, I and I do I mean, go back. I mean, there's going to be, I think, three Supreme Court picks in the next term. And right? by the way, again, um, Ryan is on record as saying that the the justices' view of abortion and of the whole social issues thing will be a major way in which he thinks a president should pick a Supreme Court judge. So, if you do, you remember. Uh, do you remember that uh, was it Mitch McConnell, uh, the governor of Indiana, at some point said, "We need a truce. We need we need to get away from the social issues. We need to put the social issues aside and just focus on economic issues and create as big of an umbrella around economic issues." That is what Paul Ryan objected to. He objected to that because he came back and said, "You can't do that because economic freedom." is completely linked to the social agenda. There is no dichotomy here. These are two of the same things. And that's individual what his heritage... Individual rights, right? You said yeah. he actually uses the term individual rights to support. Yeah, his view in abortion is this, that a fetus, from the moment of conception, that clump of cells is a human being and therefore has individual rights and therefore it is the job of government to protect it, Right. So think of it that way. If you defined in human life as starting a conception, which is bizarre, right, and, and, and cannot be explained other than through religion, there's no way. I mean, you can maybe, maybe, maybe make an argument about the last trimester, but the first few months, which is the clump of cells, there's no argument, right? So there's no human being there. So it can only come from religion, but put that aside. Once he makes that statement, his defense is individual rights. So it's the it's the role of government. He says government has Mitch Daniels. I'm sorry, I, I said somebody else. So somebody's correcting. But and he is right. So so his perspective is the government's job is only to protect individual rights. Well, but if a fetus had individual rights, then you don't have a right. To, your free choice as a woman isn't to murder somebody. Right. So That's it's the you know, same with privacy. If it's murder, you yes. can't say, "Oh, I have a right to privacy to commit murder." Yes, but of yeah. course we know that. Uh, that a fetus is just a potential life, or a potential individual, a potential human being, and a potentiality doesn't have rights. But he, but again, his religiosity does not allow him to see that. He sees it as a full-fledged human being, which is bizarre. It requires mysticism in order to do that. It requires religion in order to do that. But you can see kind of the internal logic, the kind of the Thomist kind of logic uh, that comes from that. And in the same essay, he defends individual rights from an economic perspective. That is, he defends the individual's right to make economic choices freely without government intervention as an individual rights issue. And it's, again, it's this complete, complete anatomic mixture. But, but uh, so, yes. So, yes, it, it could buy some time, but at the same time, it could push us a bit. 
towards the takeover of religion. Yeah, but I think that's the case no matter who the Republican is going to be. That is, there is no, and this is, again, there's no secular free market politician out there who could win. There just isn't. I mean, even even Ron Paul, right, who, who so many people thought was uh, God's gift to America, right, uh, is is fundamentally religious and has an awful position on abortion. And Rand Paul, his son, is even worse on abortion than Ron Paul. So, uh, so there is no, let me say this again, there is no electable candidate who is electable, I said, who is... Um, who is going to have the right position on on state church separation and on and therefore on abortion? So, as long as that's the case, uh, you know we have to choose the, the the better of two evils. So the the least offensive, and and I think in this case, the more offensive clearly is uh, is Obama. Aren't we then talking about people behaving in their voting behavior as politicians? You know, because we talked, you talked about yeah, Paul Ryan. Yeah, so, I mean, that's what we're doing so, so, when we vote. So somebody's saying, "Well, Johnson can't win because you, Your Honor, saying don't vote for him. If you, if only you said vote for him, he could win." But that's bizarre, right? <laughs> I wish we had that. Influence. I wish we. I, if I had that influence, then I would vote for him. Uh, you know, I would advocate for voting for Johnson if I could have that influence, and and if people would listen to me, then you know, maybe we change the constitution, and I would run. Um, no, I wouldn't. But anyway, uh, I wouldn't wish it on you. Yeah, I know. But so, you know, that is that is the point is that Johnson can't win, not because I say he can't win, but because metaphysically can win. You know, even free will has its limitations between now and election time. Not enough people will get to the point where with somebody like a Johnson, the choice is that we face is Romney. Obama. That's it. That's that's the choice. Any third party right now who could barely get two to three percent of the vote at most, and even if if I endorsed them fully and could rally up everybody, at most could get ten percent of the vote. It, it's just you know the last third party presidential candidate who got a decent vote was was um, uh, Ross Perot, who was a complete and utter populist. He was a middle of the road nothing, and that's why he got such a such a huge turnout. If you stand for anything. As a third-party candidate, you're not going to get a significant part of the vote. It's a waste. So, you know, you have to think what is, you know, of the two evils, which is the less offensive. And that Ayn Rand did that, and I think that is incumbent on us to do the same. I think if you're for Johnson, and this is an argument I made way back in June, people who want to vote for Johnson, I think just write yourself in because Johnson has his limitations too. Certainly there's some things about which you disagree even with Johnson. So if you want ideological purity as your standard for how you're going to fill out that ballot, write, write me in. Well, yeah, write your own in because he can't win. You know, write yourself in, write me in. We're we're all there ready ready to do it. In terms of kind of tempering the religious conservative side of Paul Ryan, do you think that Romney can have an influence there? Because he's been a moderate, at least on those issues in the past. I was sort of hoping that we might get the best of both worlds, that Romney would help temper Ryan's uh, social conservative side, and that you know uh, Ryan would help energize Romney with respect to the free market initiatives. I mean, he might. I, I think that a Romney, uh, a Romney presidency would avoid the social issues as much as possible, partially because the fact is that they they will not have a majority in the Senate or the House 
to do very much. I mean, they could chip away at abortion, but they're not going to they're not going to overturn Roe versus Wade. I think the bigger issue is uh, the Supreme Court justices uh, and their Romney will go with real conservatives. So they're you know, and I think we have to be ready for the day where the Supreme Court does overturn uh, Roe versus Wade and it does become a state's rights issue because they, they won't ban abortion. That is, they won't overturn Roe versus Wade and ban abortion. What they'll do is leave it to the states. Yeah, and state by state. And state by states. Yeah. And I think that, that uh, you know, we'll get what what some of these guys want, which is very sad and uh, and, and and not good. But, but, but I think we just, I mean, that's the reality that's going to happen because... Um, we are going to get, if, at least if Romney wins, we will get probably up to three new conservative justices who are all going to be anti-Roe versus Wade because that's going to be the litmus test that both Romney and uh, and Ryan are going to put them through. And it's it's an issue and it's a problem and, and it doesn't just it's not just that it's the Patriots Act and it's indefinite status of the Patriots Act. It's it's a lot of what people call civil liberties. Um, uh, uh, in trouble when the right wins, and and uh, and it is it is a real choice. My, I think the issue we face right now is that the country is heading towards economic disaster, catastrophe, uh, an economic catastrophe uh, from which really, really, really bad elements and bad things are going to happen. So, to the extent that we can buy some time, and to the extent that we can avoid, or maybe not avoid, but maybe push that catastrophe out into the future and give us more time to educate and give us more time, then I think I think you have to factor that into the consideration. Buying time is important. And right now, given how uh, bad the left is and how it's an evil uh, the, the radical left is, the egalitarianism, the, the nihilism of the left, uh, I, just, I just think you have to vote against the left. Uh, and then we're going to have to work really, really hard for the really, really bad stuff not to happen. Right. I mean, it was different when, say, Bush was running, George W. Bush, and you'd say, okay, I can vote for the Democrat right now because there isn't a horrible nihilist egalitarian Democrat in office actively doing the damage, and especially Obama in his second term when he says, I'm going to have more flexibility. This is That's a, that's a scary prospect. Yes. I mean, I, mean, I would take a Bill Clinton... Uh, you know, think about Bill Clinton. He was bad. He was horrible. And, you know, he was a good president, but he was less damaging. And and uh, in that sense, uh, you know, some Democrats might, in some circumstances, be better than Republicans, but certainly not, in my view, given, given where we are today as a country, given the stakes uh, and given how bad the left is, is becoming, uh, I, I do not think that's the case right now. Now, just as Gary Johnson is just so far outside of what is metaphysically possible in in a sense for us to elect right now, do you think the fact that Ryan is so good could hurt his chances? Is it too soon for someone as good as Ryan as a VP or no? Well, I mean, this is a real test of of, uh, of America and, and of Americans. Uh, and, and it's going to be a test of Ryan and how good he is at articulating the message. But if Ryan is at his best, where he's articulating the message for, mar- for, f- for f- free markets or somewhat free markets, where he's defending his budget, where he explains Medicare, and I, you know, so then then I think it's up to the American people, and we will see. I, I believe that he that he adds 
to the excitement on the right. He adds sure to the motivation that. of people to voting. But I also think this is a real opportunity to educate, and I think more than anybody, young people, about the huge injustice towards them that Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security are. It is a massive redistribution of wealth right now from young people to old people, and it's going to get much, much worse over the next 20 to 40 years. I think I think there are a number of areas in which this is a great opportunity for him to educate and hopefully inspire people towards uh, towards voting for uh, the ticket. Now, I, I do think it's possible whether he, but he might turn out to be a liability. Let me just say something because you know I don't know that you can ask me um, about what I think of the Ryan budget um, and about his position on Medicare. So again, my view is uh, so the Ryan budget to just be clear. It's not a very good budget in the sense that it doesn't reduce spending at all. Uh, the Ryan budget that the Democrats have, have called the Ayn Rand budget and the most evil budget in history is actually a budget that does not cut spending. It reduces the growth of spending. So when they say it's going to cut X, Y, Z dollars, it's going to cut that off of Obama's budget. So Ryan's budget grows spending less than Obama's. That's its claim to fame. Um, so... It's better. I think it balances the budget by 2040, 40. I think right? that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, to, to consider this like a radical, crazy budget is insane. It's not that radical. It's not that – it's nothing. It's it's a, it's a kind of a middle-of-the-road, okay budget. Uh, and But it, it's illustrative of how left the left is that and how weak the right is that the left would uh, portray this budget as so radical and crazy when it's just pretty middle of the road and that the right won't rush to his defense. So while the House has passed it a number of times now, uh, many of the presidential candidates, including Romney, have distanced themselves from the budget quite quite significantly. So Republicans are not really ready to adopt this pretty middle of the road. So Ryan is is right wing because the right has become so middle of the road. Right. This has become nothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, what are the more positive aspects of the Ryan budget? I actually think that his proposals around Medicare and Medicaid are actually pretty good. He's got some voucher. Yeah. So the voucher type systems. uh, Options for people over 55. I read. Yeah. So if you're if you're 55, you're well, there are two versions of the budget. The one that passed right now gives you an option to stay with the current system or to shift their voucher system. But the, the, the budget from a year ago, which was better, didn't give you an option. It just basically phased out, eliminated Medicare as you know it, and gave you a check that allowed you to go buy insurance. Now, this to me is a good step if it's in the direction of phasing Medicare out. Right. Right. Only if it's tied to that. Yeah, but I do think that it makes that possible. That is, if we went, if a Ryan budget passed, and people started switching to this uh, system where they bought insurance with money given to them by the government, then over time it makes it much easier for us to say, why are we subsidizing people's health insurance? There is a health insurance market for elderly people. Look, we just subsidize. Let's start reducing the subsidy. And then it's feasible to then have a discussion about phasing Medicare. Whereas right now, Medicare is so enmeshed in the healthcare system. Medicare pays the doctors. It pays the hospital. It dictates which treatments. It dictates which drugs. Government basically runs the healthcare system in the United States through Medicare. So if we could get government to just step back and basically subsidize seniors to buy health insurance, that is a revolution. That is huge. I mean, it's not as big of a revolution as we would like, but it's such a huge step that then we can start having the debate 
why are we doing this subsidy if there's an insurance market for elderly people? You know, maybe we should only subsidize really, really poor people. And then we can have the debate about, okay, well, why do we need to do that? Why don't they just save? And then we can have the debate about phasing it out completely. So I think it's a huge step in the right direction, and I would be very supportive of that. Same about Medicare. Medicare, the idea is to turn it into block grants to states. It's capped, first of all. It's not this moving target. And now you can start about reducing it. Now you can start about telling the states, you know what, in 20 years it won't exist. Um, and, and you can really ha start having this uh, debate and discussion. Uh, whereas today, again, government runs the healthcare system through Medicare and Medicaid. You can't separate them out. So the discussion is almost futile. You don't get anywhere with it. This is an important and crucial step in the direction of having a real discussion, discussion about government subsidizing, uh, you know, health care for the elderly. Now, Andy here in the chat room brought up something that, if true, would be pretty ominous. He says that the reason that Romney chose Ryan, he's got two of them. One, he wants to get Tea Party support. Of course, who wouldn't want to get Tea Party support if you're a Republican right now? But second, he says he wants to neutralize the potential biggest Republican opposition, that Ryan would not have the influence that we're thinking he might have. Instead, he would be neutralized, and then it would just all be Romney's garbage. Well, I mean, that's an interesting argument. So first, I don't buy the Tea Party side because – um, you know, I think that the uh, Tea Parties would have voted for Romney overwhelmingly anyway. There's a lot of energy around it, particularly with the Supreme Court Obamacare decision. Uh, secondly, I'm not sure um, uh, Paul Ryan is that well known in the Tea Parties. I mean, survey after survey show that Paul Ryan is a relatively unknown politician among Americans. So he, he doesn't buy him much, which is one of the reasons such a weird pick. Um, the other point about neutralizing him. So. He's not going to neutralize him during the election because Romney has it all sewn up. The idea would be that he neutralizes him once Romney wins. He, he won't have as much opposition from the House. You know, maybe that's true. But on the other hand, it does set up Paul Ryan to be the Republican nominee in, in eight years, which, right. is, which is almost always the case. And remember, the Republicans are very much about tradition and about hierarchy. So you can almost guarantee that if Romney wins, Ryan will be the next presidential and, nominee. And unlike Cheney who, because of his yeah. age and health reasons, didn't have a real political future. Ryan certainly does, young and healthy and, and definitely. And has enough. those ambitions, and we yeah. know he has those ambitions. Right, right. Um, so in general, you don't necessarily think it's going to hurt his chances, the fact that he's as good as it is. It's going to give us a chance to talk about these things. Uh, now, did you want to talk about this Medicare? Let me just say this quickly. Yeah. Medicare is a, so somebody posted Medicare is a 5% overhead, private insurance 25 to 30%. Please tell me why Medicare is all bad idea. Because, well, first, the numbers are BS. The, those numbers are not true. Uh, it, it's the way Medicare measures overhead is very different than the way private insurance measures so-called overhead. Uh, that's not overhead. That's uh, running it. Business. But even if it were true, it's it's BS because Medicare – is a is a government regulation of it's a government control over healthcare, it, it and and government cannot control healthcare without destroying it, which is exactly what it's doing. Price and, cap and and the fact is that Medicare is bankrupt. It is unbelievably bankrupt. Where private insurance companies wouldn't go bankrupt, they would adjust the prices in order to stay in business, or they would adjust treatments in order they would force uh, a price uh, reduction. So. Uh, there's no comparison. Uh, Medicare is running a unfunded liability of uh, somewhere around 60 plus trillion with a T dollars, 
no private insurance company could do that. I mean, that that would be nuts. They would be they, they would go bankrupt. So the whole idea is ridiculous. And of course, Medicare is going to run death panels. It has to run death panels. This is not some Palin conspiracy. The fact is that at some point, the cost because the cost is coming from taxpayers, and taxpayers are not going to want to pay for it, the the cost to to hold somebody alive in the last month or two of their lives is going to be so high, is so high today. There's going to be panels to decide who gets what treatment and 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 when, and and that's and the government bureaucrats are going to make this uh, going to make this happen. Uh, so and you know so it is wrong, it is immoral uh, to use other people's money to keep me alive. So in that sense, I understand why there would be death panels. So Medicare is immoral, it's uneconomical, it's it's a destroyer of healthcare, and it's going to cause an increase in the power. And in the arbitrary power of politicians over our lives. So from a moral perspective, from an economic perspective, from a healthcare quality of healthcare perspective, Medicare is a disaster. Now, let me also talk about this cost issue uh, with regard to healthcare. I'll just say this uh, because I think there's a huge fallacy. Does anybody out there know what the right cost is for healthcare? What percentage of your income should you pay for healthcare? Is it 5%, 10%, 20%, 100%? Depends on the person. It Doesn't it depend on a person? But but imagine there was a cure tomorrow for cancer that cost a million bucks, and it, you couldn't get it for less than a million bucks. That was just the cost, the, uh, because of some rare whatever. Um, then how many of us would be willing to pay a million bucks to you know to live longer, even if a million bucks was a huge percentage of our net worth? Well, most of us. So there is no right number for what you should spend on healthcare, and the whole argument about healthcare cost rising or declining is not the right argument to ha- to have. Uh, the right the right argument to have is is a choice argument. Are you making a choice about how much to spend on healthcare, your healthcare, and are you to what extent are you being forced to subsidize your neighbor's healthcare? Those are the issues. It's a moral issue. It's a moral issue about your ability to make your decision about what kind of healthcare you should make. Everything else in terms of cost, no, I believe cost would actually go down. But I, but but that's irrelevant. That that is not the argument. The argument is is a is a purely moral argument, and therefore also a quality argument. Excellent. And then you had a question I didn't answer. And now I'm forgetting what yes. that question was. If I if I didn't get in there, do you remember, boss? No. No. It is is a lost and gone question. So overall, you were pleasantly surprised that Romney picked Ryan, yes? I was shocked. I, 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 people have been asking me whether he'd pick Ryan for, for months, and I've said, no way. So sometimes Iran can be wrong. How about that? Uh, so, uh, you know, I didn't think Romney would pick him for a couple of reasons. One, uh, uh, Ryan is much more charismatic, much smarter, uh, uh, and, and Ryan is much more presidential than I think Romney is. Exactly. I, I think he outshines yeah. Romney dramatically. And people have commented on that already. They're a little surprised that he would choose somebody who potentially or actually outshines him. Yeah, so that's one reason. The second is I think philosophically they're very different. I think that Ryan is a much more consistent advocate for uh, economic freedom than uh, than is Romney. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, I, so, I, so I, and, he, and if, again, Romney was distancing himself even from the Romney, from the Ryan budget. So uh, I was shocked when he did it. I thought he would pick a, a boring candidate, Rice, uh, a Tim yeah. Pawlenty or a Portman. And if he really wanted to play politics, he would pick somebody like uh, Rubio from uh, from Florida. But even that I thought he wouldn't do because Rubio is so much more charismatic than him. So, you know, sometimes uh, sometimes surprises happen, um, whether this helps him or not. But, but let me just say again, 
Um, this is an incredible opportunity for objectivists. Um, another one of these once in a lifetime opportunities. The internet is a buzz with Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand is everywhere. I, you know, Ayn Rand was trending. Some of you knows what these mean. Trending on Twitter, which sure. means she was one of the top like hashtags on Twitter. Uh, that's amazing, right? So, and most of it was bad, and most of it was wrong, and most of it was stupid. So this is an incredible opportunity. People out there who, who want to be activists, this is an incredible opportunity for you to go out there and in a polite, intellectual, reasonable way, explain who Ayn Rand really was, what she really stood for, what she really advocated for. Um, you know, people, the, the amount of nonsense that I see, for example, on Twitter, um, being tweeted about Ayn Rand, and I, I can't go on there and, and correct everything, and the Institute can't do it all. This is a great opportunity for you to, uh, you, uh, for, for you to get engaged, and, and the same thing I'm sure is going on on Facebook and on, on uh, everywhere else. So go out there and, and really you know, defend Ayn Rand, but do it in a respectful way. Do it in a way that people would say, wow, there's some serious people, and emphasize the fact that she was a philosopher. So these guys can't just say stuff about what Rand's position is in 140 characters and pretend to convey what she really understood and link, link to articles. So I've been linking all day to this article that Ankar Gatte wrote that's on our website about, um, uh, you know, about, about who Ayn Rand was and, and, uh, and what that means, you know, link to the articles, uh, link to the articles on the, on, on the Institute website or other places that, that really present Ayn Rand's ideas, link to Ayn Rand's essays, link to man's rights and uh, the nature of government, which are available for free on the Ayn Rand Institute uh, right. website. And and go into the comment section on, uh, you know, uh, everywhere. There, there, there's so many, particularly in Huffington Post and on, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure the National Review, everywhere will be commentary about Ayn Rand. Go and then defend Ayn Rand. Defend your values. Defend what objectivism really means. And this is a great, great time because they're using Ayn Rand's name. So we're just piggybacking off of them. It's a great time for us. And, and again, you, we don't have to be millions of us because of the nature of the web. This this can go viral. This, this can be huge. Um, you know, there's an incredible opportunity here for us to really articulate Ayn Rand's message in a way that we have, uh, you know, that that we wouldn't have an opportunity otherwise. So take the Paul the Paul Ryan's uh, nomination as a real opportunity to define and defend objectivism. One quick thing I wanted to address. I think this is this is very good because I think this is true. This is a, a great opportunity, and I do hope that we have the reach and the number of activists that are out there doing this on Twitter to both counter the smears and make the most of the educational opportunity. One quick thing that people were talking about in the chat room today that we didn't address was the issue of Paul Ryan doesn't know very much about foreign policy. And I just wanted to say that I was pleasantly surprised enough that Romney picked Paul Ryan, that it made me believe that it's quite possible that he'll pick someone better like a John Bolton in foreign policy, someone who's actually been stronger and more articulate on those issues. So we'll see how that plays out in the future. What I want to do with the last few minutes that we have, own is give you a chance to talk about your book. Your book, Free Market Revolution, is coming out on September 18th. Is that right? 
Yeah, so uh, the book is Free Market Revolution, How Ayn Rand's Ideas Can End Big Government. And again, I think this is a terrific opportunity to bring up the book, to, to, to talk about the book. Uh, for example, say, oh, you think that, um, you know, you think that Paul Ryan defends capitalism. He has a real defense of capitalism. You think Paul Ryan's uh, budget is a, is a Randian budget. It ain't anyway close. Go look at this book by uh, Don Watkins, your own book, and see how what a real objectivist-looking, you know, defense of capitalism and a budget would look like, how we would deal with health care, how we would deal with Social Security and Medicare. So it's a, it's a great opportunity to do that. I also would like people to, to think about pre-ordering the book, and in particular, we're going to have a website up uh, soon, hopefully next week, where you'll be able to order the book and get a $25 gift certificate for the new uh, Ayn Rand bookstore, which is coming, which will be a, a, a completely all-e-book store, uh, so you'll be able to get, actually get more than the value of the book as a gift if you pre-order through the site. Nice. Uh, and nice. and uh, by pre-ordering in that website, uh, we'll be able to use those pre-orders to get on some of the bestseller lists. So it turns out that a lot of the bestseller lists don't count pre-orders. Um, so you kind of have to – like Amazon pre-orders. So it would really help us if you, um, uh, if you uh, order it on uh, – on our site rather than Amazon, at least uh, before it comes out, before September 18th. Somebody asked if it's coming out on audiobooks. Yes, you can actually already pre-order it on Amazon as an audiobook, as an e-book, and as a regular book. So uh, all three. Um, and, it, and it's going to be an amazing September, uh, uh, an historic September. Uh, Dim, uh, Leonard Peikoff's book, which has a huge relevancy to everything we've been just talking about, will be out in early September, the first week of September. Then uh, my book with Don Watkins will be out on the 18th. And then John Allison's book on the financial crisis and also defense of capitalism in the context of the financial crisis will be out the week after that. So uh, it is, a, it is a, an amazing opportunity for all of you to support the objectivist cause, not only by buying the book, which I hope every one of you will do, but also by promoting the book, by reviewing it on Amazon, by uh, by mentioning it on Twitter, on Facebook, by really get all three books. So, you know, uh, all three books on the bestseller list. I think that, you know, I think that, um, you know, Leonard's book might have a hard time getting on the bestseller books because it, it's it's so, so philosophical. philosophical yeah. But I think that John and I's books are both written for a large a large audience, and I think there's a real opportunity here with your help. But we need a lot of your help to really get these books out there and get them in the hands of the Tea Party and think about ordering a bunch of them and handing them out to your friends. And let's get these books out there uh, and, and let's use the opportunity uh, the nomination of uh, Paul Ryan has created for us to advocate for Ayn Rand and for objectivism. And to find out all about this, everything, the new website to pre-order his book, I assume we go to the laissez-faire blog, which is at capitalism.einrand.org. Is that correct, Jerome? Yes, and, and okay. uh, the, there will be a link there in a few days to the new website where you can order the book. And also, I encourage all of you to uh, follow me on Twitter for updates, and, and uh, which is Yaron uh, Brook, and uh, Facebook is Ybrook, uh, and... Of course, go to the Ayn Rand uh, website, Ayn Rand Institute website, to uh, to find all those uh, all the articles you guys should be and hopefully will be linking to. 
Yep, lots of good free articles out there to circulate. If you want to leave a comment on this show, you can go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com. While you're there, you can subscribe and you can find links to all the other ways to stay in touch with me, Amy Peacock on Twitter, and there's also the Don't Let It Go Unheard page on Facebook. So I wanted to say in the last couple seconds, thumbs up or thumbs down your own on The Dark Knight Rises. They're all dying to know what you think of it. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I don't think I'm quite as enthusiastic as Amy is, but I do give it a thumbs up. Okay, excellent. <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us, Jerome, and, and hopefully you will again in another few months. There'll be something important like the election to talk about, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Everybody else, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks very much. Bye.